there's very few places like New York City where all of us can come together and coexist and more than coexist, make something beautiful. Hi guys, I'm so excited to be back and talking to you guys. How is your weekend, Eliza? This was like a long weekend, so I just wanted to see what you've been up to. Yeah, no, it was a really good weekend. I mean, I went like upstate with Timothy, my little pup, um, you know, hiking, stuff like that. I also just like love like um, small businesses upstate, you know, getting like matcha, like your local like tea. Um, So yeah, it was a very chill weekend. Okay, nice. Yeah, we hung out for like one day, but I know we had off on Monday. So yes, it was How kind was of Saturday? a really, yeah, it was a really pretty day. I like tried to spend as much time outside. I think everyone's getting excited that it's getting warmer out. People are trying to be outside. Some, a lot of people get into seasonal depression in New York. And I feel like once, I know. you know, it goes above like 50, everyone's like outside trying to enjoy the sun. No, I, I totally agree. Like yesterday was absolutely gorgeous. Like I was like, thank God we're off today. <laughs> Yeah, no, it was a really good day to have off. Yeah, even though, like, I kind of, like, stood home, and I'm not going to lie, I was, like, catching up in euphoria in the morning, and then I finally made my way outside. I catched up in euphoria, too. I catched up, and I'm really excited for the next episode. Cassie is wild. I'm, like, so over her, but it's all right. (laughs) I'm team Maddie. Oh, no, I mean, always. Like, okay, but there's... If you team Cassie, I'm a... I can't... We can't have this podcast together. Yeah, but there's... I know that's why we're friends because there's people who are team Cassie and I'm what? like how yeah oh it's like this whole thing so no. yeah team Maddie yeah sure. definitely not there <laughs> <laughs> well we wanted to just come back and also just explain why we've been away for a while um we have we're relaunching this podcast and this episode's gonna be great because we have a guest at the end and we'll talk about her but um we just have been busy with our lives you know, our career, personal lives, and we're finally back and ready to really do something great with Latina Without Borders. So we're excited to get started again. Yeah, we're so pumped. Um, I feel like Christina and I just have been like getting our life together during this like crazy, you know, the pandemic has been nuts. Um, so I, yeah, we're finally ready to showcase some amazing Latinas. And, and yeah, we're, this is our first one. That being said, highlighting Latinas, Eliza, I have I don't know if you've been on Instagram recently, but I don't know if you've been following Victoria's Secret's like new social media campaign that's been coming out. Is this? Oh, oh yes. Oh my God. Is this the Latina that she has um, Down syndrome? And she's yes. going to be their first mom? Yeah. I yeah. wanted to highlight that because I was like, oh my God. I'm like, this is really cool. And I went to her page, was looking at her content and she's literally like one of the Victoria's Secret models in this huge campaign that they're launching. She's freaking gorgeous. Um, I know her hair is like perfect. I'm like, please help me. Um, but yeah, no, that's freaking amazing. I'm like so excited that Victoria's Secret is finally getting on, getting on the right page. Right? It's been yeah. too long. If you guys don't know who we're talking about, you can look it up on Instagram. But her name is Sophia, and I don't want to change her, uh, mispronounce her last name, but G J I R U A. Um, and she's the first Victoria's Secret model with Down syndrome. She's Puerto Rican. I love her content. She's like super just like, I mean, she has the best. I mean, she's Puerto Rican, so she has a Puerto Rican accent. And she's just like so lively and positive. And yeah, we just never seen something like it with Victoria's Secret. I mean, they have her, they have Remy Bader, which is the plus size model. And I think they have a bunch of other stuff. But this one I just highlighted because I saw that she was a Latina. Yeah, no, that's 
so phenomenal. I'm so happy that that's happening. It, I love to see more diversity in all like walks of life too, you know, not mm-hmm. just ethnicity, but also we all come so different. Um, and it's amazing to have representation. Yeah, no, it's really cool. So next, something new for the podcast, guys, we're going to be every episode talking about uh, Buena Vibras. And this is kind of like a concept we came up with pretty much like we want to keep our episodes positive and like update you guys on new things we're liking. So we wanted to highlight what are our good vibes of the week? What is our Buena Vibra? We're going to start it off and share um, our favorites or what has kept us positive for the week. And for me personally, it's been Pilates. I've been getting into Pilates. I've been going super early in the morning. If you follow me on social media, you're like, this girl is crazy. I've been going to like 6 a.m. classes, but um, I've been doing it consistently because I got this like really cool unlimited deal. So I'm like, well, let me take advantage of it, which by the way, I tried to go twice a week and they limited it to once a day. I mean, twice a week. I tried to go twice a day and they limit it to once a day so Christina I was like trying limits. to yeah I was like let me go twice a day and they're like yeah no girl you can only go once a day it was a really good deal yeah. but um I love solid core it's been cool just like strengthening my core you know it's a, if you never heard of it it's like Pilates on crack essentially <laughs> it's it is. so hard is, have I've, you done it I so I've never done it so there's um there's a Pilates place around where I live um, and the instructors are from Solid Core. And like, first of all, I'm like dying at the current Pilates mm. spot that I'm at. Um, and she's like, yeah, like until we can master this baby girl, no Solid Core for you. <laughs> so yeah. I'm like, well, okay, the solid I'm like baby core, steps. It's um, Solid Core is on the reformer too. It's on the machine. So it's a bit like intense and I'm always shaking. And in the middle of the class, I'm like, why did I do this to myself? I'm literally oh my causing God. torture to my own body. I'm like trying to do child pose. Yeah. No, afterwards I feel really great. So it's definitely been like a whenever you refer me, like after a week going once a day, um, and really seeing like my core become stronger. I love that, Chris. Yeah. So I think mine and like totally like if it's if this is TMI, but like this is like why I wanted to start Latina Wild Borders. Like I like started therapy again. Like I was like going to therapy last year. And then I felt like I was like quote unquote healed. Um and then you know I realized I was like oh my God like work life you know all the anxiousness I was like I definitely like need to get back into it. Um I think it's something that's like great like if you feel like you're finished with it like definitely like take a break but there's no shame in like going back when you think you're ready. So like that's mine like super excited for it. I think it's awesome. Like I feel like as like Latinos and like you know especially you know Latinas we a lot of us like like when we as we you know get older we like hold our families together and we're so such strong women um and I think like oftentimes we think therapy and we're like wait what like I don't need that like I'm normal but honestly sometimes mm-hmm. it's just like phenomenal to talk to someone who's one an expert right and then like two is like not your friend or your family so they're like super unbiased so you can just like you know like go out and like go in right you can just like give them all the deets um yeah so like uh, it's been like awesome and like I'm looking forward to like continuing it I mean it is expensive so we shall be taking a break again at one point (laughs) but you know I do I do love the fact that like just like going in and like managing like I know, like, I think we can all deal with this. Like, I have, like, so much anxiety. Like, I feel like I need to be, like, the best at everything and stuff. So it's, like, definitely, like, help with that, like, management. How many, um, how often do you go? Yes, once a week. 
um okay. once a week in the middle of the day because I feel like I mean right now we're recording guys and it's like 7 50 in the morning oh yeah <laughs> we're early people so like I'm like more bright like in the morning or afternoon so like yeah okay then- nice I feel like a lot of people like do that where they like take the break because I follow a lot of like YouTubers who are um yeah uh, they talk about therapy and it's awesome mm-hmm. to hear that um and they say like oh I took a break and then I think that's when you realize you're like wait this is missing from my life and I I you do want it. it back and then you appreciate it because maybe when you're first in it you're like is this helping me this is so expensive like yeah. should I be doing therapy but then like taking that break and reflecting maybe it helps out exactly like also like my therapist is like my home girl so I'm like yeah I miss her you know <laughs> even though she's not right she's a professional <laughs> but like you know you start like saying wait you know I need this like thought these thoughts back into my life and like yeah I just love how we like have just like all normalized like our generation is normalizing that I'm curious is she Latina okay so she's no. not um but I kind of like that yeah I, I did that on purpose personally because <laughs> yeah. I was like you know I listen like I'm new to this you know still learning however in my head I was like you know I kind of want someone from an outside perspective um that was really important to me by all also know people and like friends that um they were like yeah I definitely wanted a woman in color like that was so mm-hmm. essential I needed her to relate to me and er- on every level versus me I felt like I wanted someone who couldn't re- relate to me so they can like see like I wanted to see from their perspective like what they, they thought about like the stories I was telling them and how I was feeling you know rather than yeah. someone that can like I like perfectly identify with me um so yeah it's definitely a choice but I also been reading a lot about like shopping around like it's okay to like have one therapy session and if that person is not a fit like drop them yeah well did was she your first therapist and you liked her or how did I got that, lucky like, she was my first one oh, but I know some nice. people was like I don't really like mine and I'm like yo this is like not cheap drop them and get yeah drop them like. exactly mm-hmm. I was listening um to a guy who was like yeah I, I think he went through like three people till he found the right yeah. person he was like sorry we're not gonna match because like hey this is a person you're gonna be sitting down to this and, is like, serious having like intimate conversations with yeah. so <laughs> I guess exactly like, right I haven't personally experienced it but I feel like yeah I would be like and then I guess it's kind of awkward to be like hey we're not a good match but like at the end of the day like they're the professional and you're paying them so exactly and that's yeah. okay like the same way we get paid to do like certain aspects you know we get paid to do our jobs the same way they get paid and if we didn't and we weren't fit like you know our bosses would tell us right away so you know you got to think of it as like no hard feelings it's more just like I want to grow and I think I may need a different person for that I love to hear that um I think that's awesome to be bringing that up and yeah that that's our Buena Vibras for the week and we'll be doing that um every episode so you guys can learn a little bit more about us and we can have um those type of conversations for this episode we have a guest uh Jali and we are so excited to introduce you guys uh to her she was so sweet when we spoke to her she's right from New York um she grew up here and she she'll give you her backgrounds but she runs a social media page um called Nueva Yorkinos but she also mentioned she's not really like a social media tech person and I thought that was so interesting because she really like I mean she has such a big platform and a lot of people interact with it and you know, she's a, she's an artist though. She really like is into film. She's into, she, when she was growing up, she um, was into acting and she had all these different interests and she doesn't rely on like just social media. Um, Really like, I feel like in-person conversations and talking yeah. to people in person is probably important to her. 
No, for sure. I felt like she was passionate about so many things. Like, I know for me, like, I've had so many hobbies, but like for her, it's like, no, no, no. Like, these are all the things that I'm like super interested in. I'm passionate about them. And this is why. And I like, you can hear it through her voice. And I absolutely love that. Also, like, yo, her love for New York. Like, oh insane. my God. Like, I got chills like, at some point. Yeah. I was like, girl, like, you should be the mayor. Like, she's like, oh, she loves yes. the city and like yes. her pages, which, you know, you guys can find. And um, in the description, her, you know, her pages are all like a love letter, like it's literally a love letter mm-hmm. to New York, like she wants to just like uplift, you know, people of color's voices and like tell their stories. And I think that's phenomenal. And like Christina said, like a girl who's like, not really into tech, right? So she's like, she's like, I take breaks from Instagram all the time. Like, I, I don't really like like social media but then you're but then she has like forty thousand plus followers on this like Mm -hmm. phenomenal pages so I think that just goes to show you that like even if you're not a tech person but you have something amazing that people are interested in and want to see you you know you can be very successful whether you know you're expert on social media or not also um her page like you said is a love story it features um these really cool like old I would even, I was going to say like 90s, but they're definitely like older photos, right? Yeah, they're like, they're like, honestly, from like the 70s, 80s, 70s like, yeah. they're like, super old, like, I submitted a photo to her, which I have to like, share my story, because what she also does is that those who submit a photo, she does ask for a story about the photo and to give some background so she can repost it, um, which is like, awesome. But yeah, that's something I definitely want to do. I think just like looking at these photos, it, it just a deep reflection as someone who did grow up in New York City, when I see her page I feel like I see my family members I see my you know me as a you know Puerto Rican from New York my stories being told and like um it's really like I mean yeah like Christina explains it like you get chills like it's really phenomenal um and yeah you can tell that she this is something that not only is she doing now but she wants to continue to do um and I'm just so excited for you guys to hear at the end of the podcast where her legacy is because it's absolutely beautiful and I think it ties in to um, everything she stands for I hope you guys enjoy this episode like we said she's gonna start off with explaining what Nueva Yorkinos is and we hope you guys enjoy Nueva Yorkinos was born on February 14th of 2019 so my baby is about to be three and I was in Dominican Republic. It was my second time going there ever in my life. I didn't grow up going back and forth to the country. My mother was adamantly against supporting, you know, the, the government for its anti-Haitian sentiment. My stepfather is Haitian. So that that was the um, sort of environment that I grew up in. And so I was so excited to go back to DR to see my people. I'm here like, I so, soy Dominicana. Blah, blah. And they're all looking at me like... You're, you're American. I'm like, don't ever, don't ever use that A word. I am a New Yorker. Okay. So like, let's, let's put some respect on it. But I was in DR, I was watching a show and it sucked and it was supposed to be revolutionary um, for it's like Afro Latinida representation. And it was not, and I was really mad, you know, I was frustrated. Um, And so after watching the show, I did what most of us do. I went on Instagram and I was just scrolling and I kind of just had like the thought of like, where are the Latino pages? Cause I, I didn't know of, of many. Um, I am really not social media savvy at all. I have like, I have Instagram, I have Facebook. That's, I don't do anything else. And so I don't, I didn't know of, you know, these spaces. So I found, you know, I'm like looking through Latina, looking through uh, 
Afro-Latino diaspora, you know, looking through different ones. And I come across Veteranas and Rucas, which is founded by Guadalupe Rosales from California. She's this really incredible archivist whose, whose work is centering uh, the women of Southern California and their stories. And as we know, the same way that Blackness is not monolithic, Latinidad is not monolithic, you know? And so even though I loved the page and I was like, this is so dope and everyone is so fly, I don't have that experience. The West Coast, predominantly Central American, Mexican uh, diasporic experience is not the same. The palm trees, you know, no snow, right? Like so much goes into making New York what it is. And we have so many, you know, different groups here, so many different di uh, diasporas here. And so of course, even though I, I felt so called to this page, I also didn't see my people represented rightfully so, because it wasn't about our people as New Yorkers, it was about her people. And I thought that was so dope. I think that's such a good point. I mean, Sometimes I feel like there's a space for first generation um, Latinos. And I think there's a gap sometimes when we transition to that second generation, right? Um, those of us, I know me personally, my parents are from Puerto Rico, but I grew up in New York in the Bronx. That's my heritage. So um, I think that's why when I came across your page, it was so inspiring because I was like, wait, these are the photos I have from growing up, right? Like not, I am not in Puerto Rico. I'm, you know, I didn't grow up in the yard. Like I grew up in New York. And that's what's so dope about being, being from anywhere, right? But again, I'm from New York, so I can only talk about my experience. For me, that's why it's so dope being from here, because we have such strong and such proud roots as being these composite, hyphenated identity people, diasporic people, right? Like, we're, we are... Puerto Rican and we are from El Barrio, we are Dominican and we are from Dykeman, you know, we are Colombian and we are from Jackson Heights. And so that hyphenated identity to me is one of the most beautiful things because even though there are so many hardships that come with being neither aquí neither allá, and, you know, our people oftentimes are the ones perpetuating these, you know, stereotypes and these incredibly insidious ideas of authenticity for humans, which how can a human be authentic when there's so many, there's countless, there's trillions, gazillions of human experiences, right? And so for us to be able to live in that beauty of that hyphen, for me, is what makes being a Black, Latina, Indigenous, New Yorker from uptown so, so much more important because it's not just one identity that has influenced me and that has influenced my life. It's so many, you know, growing up, I, I grew up in a Dominican neighborhood. My mom is Dominican. My dad is black American and indigenous. Then I went to school in El Barrio where I wanted to be Puerto Rican and I couldn't believe I wasn't Puerto Rican. And I couldn't believe my mom wasn't letting me go to the Puerto Rican day parade. And I was just like, like, like I want to be Puerto Rican. And then I find out later on down the line that what? I got Puerto Rican in me from Ponce and like recent ancestry. And I was like, you see, this is why I love the Boricua so much because <laughs> y'all are in me. But all jokes aside, like my, my Latinidad wasn't just informed by uh, Dominicanicity, for lack of a better word. My Latinidad was also informed by New Yorican identity. My Latinidad is now being informed by 
Colombian identity. My boyfriend's Colombian, his family's Colombian. And so I've been exposed to different foods, different language, uh, different dialects, different words for things, you know, it, and it's so dope because there, there's very few places like New York City where all of us can come together and coexist and more than coexist, make something beautiful. I love that. I think one of the questions I wanted to follow up with is you hear these stories, you're experiencing all these um stories coming into your dms like what's one of the ones that have stood out to you the most and why oh my goodness that's like the hardest question ever i think i have over like a thousand photos and stories now so it's so hard um i just love i'll talk about general ones i i love all photos that people submit like Every time I get a new photo, I I tell my man, I'm like, Papi, look, like, look at this woman. She just sent me this photo of her and her mom. And he's like, wow, that's so dope. Like, I get really excited every time that I get photos. Obviously, as a Dominican, um, I I love hearing stories from my diaspora, right? So there's so many dope stories, especially ones that are located in Washington Heights or are located in the Bronx and sections that I grew up in. You feel a certain like, you know, familial tie to it, even if you don't know the person. Um, so that's always really cool when I get those submissions. I also love when, you know, I love when when men and boys submit their photos and stories, because coming from our culture where boys and men are not encouraged to talk through things, are not encouraged to, you know, um, use writing as a form of catharsis, um, they're, they're talked down to, they are criminalized, they are profiled. I always find it to be so such an act of defiance when in when a man, boy, teenager, whoever is submitting their photos. I, I, I think it's incredible because you're going against everything that society says that you should be doing, right? People who have survived growing up in war zones of the 80s in the Bronx, right? But who are able now to tell their story and who are proud to tell that story, who are like, yeah, this is what this tattoo means and this is what I did and this is what my dad did. But guess what? Now I'm, you know, making sure that my son doesn't do the same thing or we have been able to move out of the hood and I've been able to give my kids something better. And so while, again, while I love all the stories, I I really feel like Black and Latino men, Black Latino men, Caribbean men, boys, they are really given the shortened end of, of the stick when it comes to what this country um, sees for them and sees their destinies being. And so allowing the, these, you know, these uh, groups of people to pen their stories is is so like I get so emotional I get it really means a lot I also like when first generation folks um submit their photos and stories because they have a different obviously experience than I do as a second generation Dominican there's certain things that I didn't have to deal with and there's certain privileges that I don't that I hadn't realized that I had until reading certain stories that come specifically from first generation um, New Yorkers or immigrants. Every story where it's coming from 
and who's you know who's behind it in terms of like the physical submittee and and their their diaspora and their neighborhood so special i also love uh reading things from queens because i didn't grow up in queens and it's so diverse and so i learn through every queen submission that that i receive i learn something new about new york city and it's it, it's a beautiful thing because it's like i fall in love over and over and over again with my city and i fall in love over and over and over again with my people and that's what i mean there, there's nothing better in life right than than to be in love with your surroundings and just to be in a state of love and nueva yorkinos really always has me in a state of love that is so beautiful to hear and i know you mentioned privileged and i think that's a really strong word i would love to know what are some of the privileges that you've experienced being a second versus first generation which is probably what you saw around you so I think it's important that everyone always locates themselves, right? Because identity is intersectional and we're all existing on multiple planes, right? And so anyone who's born in this country has a privilege. We have privilege of citizenship. And when you're from our communities where we have family members, friends, loved ones, people from the block who don't have that simple piece of paper, you see how incredibly hard it is for them to do the most basic things and they still do these things and they still show up for themselves for their families for their communities and for new york city through the form of essential work through the form of picking up cans in the park to the form of taking care of our kids not our kids literally but proverbially right like taking care of of babies doing nanny work taking care of of the elderly you know so many people who who don't have the safety net that citizenship provides are out here changing this country and are changing the world. And it's something that unless you meet people who are, unless you meet people, know people who are either, you know, first generation, had a really hard pathway towards citizenship, or maybe undocumented themselves, um, you don't un understand, right? Because this country, there's so much chaos and there's so much noise and there's so many isms that are still in play that are affecting this country from slavery, from colonialism. And so it's really easy to get wrapped up in, and which I was in, honestly, when I was in college, the mindset of, I'm not, I don't have any privileges as a black Latina from uptown and I'm a woman and I'm a native New Yorker. I don't got nothing. And what is that, right? Like, I, I usually, like, I'm not a fan of self-victimization. And I realized that that's what, what I was participating in. And so when you realize, again, I love to say this, but when you realize that you do not just exist for yourself, but you, you do not exist solely because of yourself, but you exist because of a continuum, literally, of people who found a way to survive, literally, for you to be here today in the flesh, literally this is not a figure of speech this is not something that's esoteric this is not just you know philosophizing no it's the fact that we are here beyond the greatest odds and when you realize that and again you have that piece of paper that says you are a u.s citizen oh i never even like i never say say those letters i'm always like i'm a new yorker but again like when you have that paper you have so many doors open for you. And that's something that I really hope that through 
social media, through TV, through films, through any sort of media that people are consuming through books, through interviews. I hope that those of us who are second generation or first generation or have the, the piece of paper, the important piece of paper, third generation, I hope that we can understand where we're at. And by understanding where we're at, we'll be able to have a more patience with our people who we may be frustrated by because they're not learning as fast as we are, right? Because they haven't been afforded the same uh, stepping stones that we have. It's so important. It makes you, I think, a better citizen of the world by recognizing where you are located and the privileges that you do have. Because there's there's certain spaces that we obviously don't have privilege, right? Like we don't have racial privilege. We don't have privilege, uh, gender privilege as women, right? You don't, uh, we don't have socioeconomic privileges, right? Unless we're born into the upper echelon and of, you know, the 1%. So, but we have privileges. We do. We are not the bottom of the barrel. It's so important uh, to recognize. I wanted to rewind a bit um, and just yes. talk about, so we were reading on you and we saw that in your household, there was a lot of discussions around history, racism, a lot of topics that unfortunately are not always unfolded in like Latino households. So I just wanted to hear how was that experience? How were you, how do you react to these conversations as a young kid growing up? Yeah, so as a kid growing up, I was just exposed to things very early. Um, and that's something that a lot of us, whether you know we're Black American, whether we're Indigenous, whether we're immigrant, that's something that that we have to, um, it's something that we're usually exposed to, right? Like the harsh realities, we all have the talk, you know, hey, you, you can't do X, Y, and Z because unfortunately history has made it so that people who look like you are demonized, right? And so, or rather than history, the oppressive forces that be are the reasons why people who look like you are demonized demonized right and so I remember being young and like even from like the the kids books that like my mom read to me and I read so much maybe three percent of what I know in my life is dict was dictated by like the degree that I got and like the other 97 percent of the information that I know is like from reading books right and so like books at our fingertips and it's so uh, they're so incredible you know, of course, I grew up reading like the Dr. Seuss's and those kinds of books. But then I also read uh, there was one particular book about Mansa Musa, who was a Malian emperor from the Malian Empire, West Africa. And he was the richest man ever known in the world ever at any given point in history. His wealth is so immense that you can't codify it. Bill Gates, Mark Zuckerberg, et cetera, they, they, they have pennies compared to what Mansa Musa had. And so I remember learning about him and and the illustration of this book was so dope. And I remember being like, oh, my God, like, oh, that's so cool. Like, he looks like my dad. And so growing up, you know, like reading, reading books on my own, having books be read to be read to me and having conversations that that were born out of these books were ways that that my family were able to really like my mom, my grandmother, because they were like the two readers in, in the family or uh, heavy readers in the family. That's how, how they were able to, to connect uh, to me and relay this information to me. I also read that you used your platform during COVID to help those that aren't documented and weren't able to receive benefits. Can you tell us more about that and what role you played? Yeah, you know, I think that COVID really taught people a lot. 
there are certain things that many of us knew, right? Like racism exists, right? Like um, systemic racism exists, like communities of color have terrible uh, hospitals, right? Like we don't have adequate access to healthcare. So, th so there's certain things that we already knew, but you know, seeing so many people put their bodies on the lines, being essential workers, many of which being undocumented and or just not having the proper, uh, you know, forms for citizenship because citizenship is very, very complicated. Um, these are the people who are putting, you know, their their labor on, on the line. And so through COVID, uh, what I was able to do, it was like a few things. A, I really used uh, the Instagram platform to like tell people where to get tested. I was like, these are free spots because this is before the vaccine. This is when so many people were being hospitalized. This is when Queens, when our beautiful city was the epicenter. And I, you know, I just, I wanted to make sure that our people were good, you know, and, and, and I don't, I don't have the, the capital to do that in any way but Instagram. And so I did that. And then I was very moved that a lot of folks who lost uh, family members and loved ones, they turned to Nueva Yorkinos to eulogize them. And that was really intense for me because I... I created this thing because I felt like it was necessary. I didn't create it for any other reason. I just wanted people to like feel seen and I just wanted people to feel like they mattered and that their stories mattered and that their voices mattered. And never did I think that there would be like all of us, like many of us, we, you know, we didn't think there was gonna be a pandemic. And I didn't think that people would feel so, so comfortable in sharing their, their grief and processing their grief so publicly on this platform. And I think, you know, what, what was so beautiful to see through, through that time was everybody coming together. And that's something that Nueva Yorkinos does, like people, you know, share their photo, or I, I share the photos that people send me and community is just like drawn. They just gravitate to the comment section if they have something that, you know, relates to, to the, um, topic or to the photo but with COVID people were just there like it was it was the beautiful it was the most beautiful sign of solidarity people who older younger still live in New York live in PA live in Florida just saying you know mija I'm so sorry what can I do let me know if you need something to people that that they they'll never meet and that they don't know and so fostering that sense of community in the digital space um, was something that that was like really, it was really transformative. Um, and it made me think about a lot of things differently. And I'm someone who can be a cynic for, for anything uh, techn technological. I don't rely on, on technology, or I try really hard not to rely on technology. I don't like it. I don't like social media. Um, but it, it really showed me the other side. And this project has shown me the other side to all of the issues that, you know, um, are so prevalent in social media. And then so last year, um, I was able to take that sort of, you know, um, acknowledgement of our people a step further outside of the digi, uh, the, the digi sphere, as they say. And I had a show at MoMA PS1, which is in Long Island City, Queens. Queens being the most diverse urban area in the entire planet um, with the highest 
gentrifying area in the entire country of Long Island City. Um, and I just, you know, I was able to bring Nueva Yorkinos IRL in real life. And that's something that's really important to me because not everybody has access to smartphones or the internet and people forget that. And that is a privilege, you know, not everybody understands. And some of the most important people whose stories are, are needed to be recorded and whose stories need to be preserved don't have access to the technology that we take for granted. And so I partnered with, I have an amazing, amazing sister, Latina, who is an assistant curator at PS1, Elena. And Elena just knows so many amazing people. And she introduced me to another hermana who I, I adore, named Angeles Solis, who works at, is a lead organizer at Make the Road. And through Elena saying, okay, Hermanas, everyone needs to connect. Y'all are all incredible. We were able to come up with this, this show, which was called Nueva Yorkinos, Essential and Excluded. And I think that, you know, pairing those two words together was so key because these were buzzwords that were used throughout the, you know, uh, throughout the pandemic. Oh, essential workers. Oh, you know, excluded workers, essential workers. But putting them together shows the, the dichotomy and like the juxtaposition and just how important they are. And so what, what we were able to do was bringing in Nueva Yorkinos, bringing in Make the Road, the Fund Excluded Workers uh, Coalition, which was created by many organizations coming together to fight for undocumented workers to um, receive COVID-19 pandemic relief in the form of monetary uh, economic assistance, we were able to come up with, you know, this incredibly immersive um, exhibition. And so I was able to tap into this really incredible Dominican photographer from uptown who shot the portraiture under my direction. I was able to curate my interactive installation, which I always do in any exhibition that I have because to sit down and, and to physically be in the space, in any space um, that centers like La Gente and that centers Nueva Yorkinos. This point, it was a sala. At other times I've, I've done a Latino kitchen. It's like these places, these spaces of memory and these places, these spaces of reflection and of contemplation. And so I wanted to bring a sala into the dead center of homeroom, which was the room that my exhibit was in to force people to contemplate, to force people to sit down and grab, oh, what's that book that's on the coffee table? Oh, the open veins of Latin America, what's that about? And then we also curated a library of like quintessential reads that people need to know about Latinidad, about Latinidad in New York City, about, um, you know, diasporically specific groups like Dominicans, Puerto Ricans, and kids books that were catered to Latinos that were bilingual. It was, it was really dope. And then we had the protest posters and signage also part of the exhibit. And then using or marrying, bringing it back to the beginning of our conversation, marrying my love for film and filmmaking and storytelling in that capacity with politics and with la gente, 23, Our Labor Saved Lives, was born. And that was my uh, documentary short that I directed, produced, and edited that was part of my um, exhibition at PS1. And that film centered a few of 
uh, the excluded workers who were uh, who participated in a historic hunger strike that was at the top of or springtime of 2021 that made New York State pass this COVID-19 relief bill for excluded workers in New York State. And so I interviewed a few of them. All of them were from Latin America and the Caribbean. It's important to note that everyone who came together for the coalition, though, were not just Latino and they were not just Caribbean. They were Chinese and they were Korean and they were Ghanaian and they were Senegalese. They were Arab. They were from all over the place because everybody understood that we are being discredited, we are not being paid our full worth, and we are not being represented, and we are not being acknowledged. The hypocrisy in calling us essential, but then not providing us what we need to just live essentially, right, the bare necessities. And so it was really beautiful to provide the space and pass the mic, for lack of a better term, to such incredible history makers who may not even who they all know that that they participated in something historic but they are history makers right everyone who participated in that action are history makers and the process was super simple i had very open-ended questions to allow people to talk as freely as they wanted things get very complicated you know when when you are dealing with uh, documentation or whether you're dealing with, you know, the traumas that that come with uh, being undocumented in New York City, um, being treated poorly, being taken for granted. And so, as we know, lots of film, media, TV that centers marginalized groups is about the poverty porn and it's about the let's make you cry, let's, let's extract, let's talk about everything that's sad. And I was like, oh, no, no, no. What do you want to talk about? How did it feel? very open-ended and that was the strategy so it was a really great you know process and most importantly everybody who was in the film liked the film and that oh my god it made my heart it made my heart so happy i was so happy <laughs> so to wrap up we wanted to ask what do you want your legacy to be what do you want to leave behind here i want to leave behind children who continue to carry the torch for me that's always been my thing. You know, I grew up in a family with many professionals, with many artists, with many incredibly brilliant, intellectual, talented people in generations like my, you know, not just my parents, my grandparents, my great grandparents. But for me, what's what's most important is to have certain stabilities that I didn't have growing up that are within the realm of the home and are in the realm of breaking certain intergenerational traumas that we have. And so more so than my legacy of what works I leave or what books I may write or what films I may direct, I just wanna leave behind good people. That's my legacy. Thanks so much for listening to our episode today. Please be sure to rate us wherever you listen to your podcast. It helps us out a lot and lets us know if we're doing a good job. And be sure to follow us on social media. Our handle is at Latina Without Borders. We would love for you guys to message us, comment, let us know if you enjoyed this episode, but also any tips or ideas on who you'd like to hear next. That's it for today and until next time.